I know you all understand that this was prepared by Pastor Cole. I'm simply a vehicle to get it to you in his absence. It isn't right. That's what a young boy said to his dad, said to his dad after he watched The Passion of the Christ with a group from their church. Roger was in the seventh grade when he saw the movie. He gripped his father's hand, his eyes filled with tears, his lips quivering. For a long time, he couldn't say anything. Finally, with great emotion, he spoke three words. It isn't right. The way the soldiers treated Jesus wasn't right. The way the witnesses lied about him wasn't right. The way Pilate tried to wash guilt away wasn't right. The crown of thorns wasn't right. The scourging wasn't right. What they did to Jesus was the greatest crime in history. Why did he have to die? To find the answer to that question, let's take a trip back in time to learn about a man named Barabbas who played a key part in the events leading up to Jesus' death. Barabbas never speaks a word in the gospel records, yet all four gospels mention him by name. His story occupies at least 38 verses of the New Testament. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know if he was married or single. We don't know how old he was. We can tell what we know in three short sentences. Barabbas was guilty. Jesus was innocent. Barabbas lived. Jesus died. With that, we turn to some basic questions about this man and the role he played in the death of Jesus. One, who was Barabbas? All four gospel writers mention him. Matthew calls him a notorious prisoner. Mark says he was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder. Luke says he was in prison for insurrection and murder. John adds that he had taken part in a rebellion. When Peter preached to Solomon's portico near the temple courts, he called him a murderer. He was a cold-blooded killer. As with many terrorists in our day, he may not have looked dangerous, but he was a menace to decent society. When you add the word notorious, it means that everyone knew about Barabbas. Prison was where he belonged. He was there because of heinous crimes. Why would anyone want him to be set free? Two, who was Jesus? The question of Jesus' identity is not easily answered. It's clear that Pilate struggled mightily to understand this strange man standing before him. Pilate knew this much. He was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He was not a wealthy man. And he worked miracles. He spoke in parables. He made strange claims for himself. He had a large following. He, made, he had important enemies. Pilate mulled over all these, all those things in his mind as he considered the case of Jesus who, standing there before him, having been beaten, certainly didn't seem like a threat to anyone. Pilate was the cautious politician caught between a rock and a hard place. He knew Jesus was innocent, or at least any crimes he had committed were not crimes against Roman law. Jesus had done nothing worthy of death. Three times, he says, I find him not guilty. Pilate's problem can be stated this way. He knew who Jesus was not, but he didn't know who he was. He wasn't a criminal, a crook, a thief, a bandit, a revolutionary, a murderer, or a lawbreaker. As far as Pilate was concerned, Jesus had done nothing wrong at all, certainly nothing deserving of death. But he didn't know who he was. Was he a mystic, a visionary dreamer, an idealistic teacher, or was he something more? Under pressure from the Jews, Pilate had to make a fast decision. Looking at Jesus, Pilate says in John 19.10, Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? That wasn't a boast. 
It was a statement of sober fact. As a Roman governor of Judea, he alone could condemn a man to death. If it is true that many of the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead, it's also true that they could do nothing without Pilate's permission. That brings us to the bottom line. Jesus had done nothing deserving of death. Hounded by the Jewish leaders, afraid to stand up for the truth, trying to find a way out, Pilate decides to wash his hands of the whole ugly affair. But of course, that never works. After 2,000 years, we can see him clearly. Pilate stands for all those men of power who lack the courage of their own convictions. So he offered the mob a choice. Jesus or Barabbas, who will it be? Three, why did the crowd choose Barabbas? The gospel writers carefully note that Pilate tried several times to release Jesus. Knowing that at Passover every year, a prisoner was released from jail, he offered them Jesus or Barabbas, thinking that surely they'd prefer the popular young preacher, even if he was controversial, to the bloodthirsty killer Barabbas. Who would choose a murderer over Jesus? But Pilate severely underestimated the hatred the Jewish leaders had stirred up against Jesus. He thought that his declaration of this man's innocence would be enough. Plus, he couldn't think of a reason to kill him. Why would you kill a man like Jesus? Why indeed? What sort of people would prefer a killer to a teacher of God's truth? Lest we get too far ahead of ourselves, it's important to remember that Caiaphas and Annas and the members of the Sanhedrin had evidently made up their minds long ago. Jesus must die. So they planned and plotted and schemed, while all the while their anger shimmered and grew and then finally pulled over. Jesus must die. So when Judas came with his pitiful offer to betray the Lord, they jumped all over it, offering him 30 pieces of silver. Judas took the money, having sold his soul in the bargain. Once the religious leaders had Jesus, they weren't going to let him go. They had evidence. Never mind that it was mostly lies and half-truths and statements twisted out of context. None of that mattered. Jesus must die. So the trials of Jesus had proceeded through the night. They shuffled Jesus from one venue to another. His hands bound so he could not escape. Herod got his chance. So did Caiaphas. Pilate talked to him twice. Through it all, Jesus, Jesus said almost nothing. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. There are times to talk, and a time when talking doesn't matter. This was a time when talking didn't matter. Knowing that the court was rigged against him and the outcome foreordained, Jesus mostly kept silent during that long night. He had his most extended conversation with Pilate, a man who was both fascinated and puzzled by him. But all of that doesn't explain the crowd's choice. Perhaps they were so inflamed by hatred that they actually preferred a murderer to Jesus. Or perhaps they feared Jesus more than Barabbas. In sane times, this would not make sense, but those were not sane times. When a crowd has been whipped into frenzy, they will believe the worst about the best, and the facts don't matter. Mark 15, 11 says the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have them choose Barabbas. Matthew adds that the elders were involved, meaning the older men, the great beards, most likely to gain a hearing. Any student of crowd psychology knows how this works. It only takes four or five men in strategic places to start the chant. Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Ceasing the mood of the crowd, Pilate makes one last feeble attempt at justice. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? 
But it is too late now. The crowd begins to shout, Crucify him, crucify him. Jesus must die. For what difference does it make? In some ancient manuscripts, his name is given as Jesus Barabbas. That means the choice between Jesus Barabbas or Jesus of Nazareth. What a choice it was between a murderer and an innocent man, between darkness and light, between evil and good. Consider the consequences of the choice the mob made. For them it meant the same guilt for Jesus' death. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. The awesome callousness of those words means that the crowd was given over completely to bloodlust. They wanted, they wanted Jesus dead and didn't care what it meant for them or their children. For Jesus it meant more suffering and a brutal, bloody death on the cross. For Barabbas it meant that the guilty would go free while Jesus the innocent would die in his place. One ancient tradition says that after he was released, Barabbas went to Golgotha to watch Jesus die. There is nothing implausible about that. When Thomas Whitelaw wrote about the crowd's choice of Barabbas over Jesus, he mentioned seven words that summarized that momentous event. It was popular, but the popular choice is often wrong. It was frenzied. When passion rules, judgment dies. It was criminal to prefer a murderer over the prince of life. It was foolish to choose an enemy and reject a friend like Jesus. It was fatal in that it guaranteed judgment to the nation. It was predicted in Isaiah 53.3. It was overruled by God to bring salvation to the world. In that final point, we see the wisdom and greatness of God who could use the evil choice of a foolish mob to bring salvation to the world. It is the ultimate irony that those who so dis disrespected Jesus could be saved by the death they chose for him. Five, what should it mean to us? There are three great players in this drama, Pilate, Jesus, and Barabbas. We are very much like Pilate and Barabbas, but in very different ways. And those ways both involve who Jesus is to us. We're all like Pilate. One of the most striking depictions of Barabbas and Jesus comes from a man named George Tinworth, who in the 1870s produced a terracotta relief called The Release of Barabbas. Pilate stands in the middle washing his hands of the whole sordid mess. To Pilate's left is Jesus, hands bound, being led away to be crucified. There's a, there is about his person a solemn, dignified sadness. But the case of Barabbas is different. He steps forward as if stepping off the relief altogether. He seems happy, buoyant, his hands stretched out to accept congratulations from the soldiers. His whole demeanor seems lighthearted. Underneath Barabbas are the words, the world's choice. Indeed he is. The world always chooses Barabbas because it prefers the lawbreaker to the good shepherd. The inscription under the figure of Jesus. Kenworth wants us to know that the world takes care of its own. Even the soldiers prefer Barabbas to Jesus. As it was then, so it is today. Christ could never have been the world's choice, which is why they crucified him. We may feel glad that we don't have to make the same decision Pontius Pilate did on that tumultuous day in Jerusalem. But the question he asked still hangs in the air. What shall I do then with Jesus? The choice before us is far more difficult because we know so much more than Pilate ever knew. He believed Jesus to be innocent but caved under pressure and set a criminal free. What will the end be for us who know the truth about Jesus and still prefer Barabbas? 
No one can escape that question. So long as Christ is popular, then going along with him, following him, choosing him is easy. But the moment of hard decision comes sooner or later to all of us. We each have our own passion week where the truth crowds in upon us. The world has made its choice. Jesus must die. We must make our own choice. Will it be Jesus or Barabbas? We are all like Barabbas. We have not read this story rightly if we think that Barabbas is bad because he was a criminal and we are good because we are not like him. I am Barabbas. Every man is. Murderer, thief, criminal, insurrectionist, lawbreaker, rioter. Justly imprisoned, rightly condemned, free from punishment by substitute who died in my place. Barabbas stands for every son of Adam who has ever walked on planet Earth. Barabbas stands for me. It is said that Bernard of Clairvaux in the 12th century first penned the words to the hymn, O sacred head, now wounded. The second verse speaks to the issue of our sin and death of Christ. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners gain. Mine, mine was the transgressions, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior. Tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor and grant to me thy grace. That verse captures the whole problem of the human race. Mine, mine was the transgression. We've done well in that department, haven't we? Our sins have cut us off from God, so we are left to our own feeble devices. Most of us think of ourselves as pretty good people, or at least not as bad as the next guy next door. And it's true in one sense. We haven't done every terrible thing that others have done, but still our hands are not clean. We have cheated, we have lied, we have gossiped, we have falsely accused, we have made excuses, we have cut corners, we have lost our temper, we have mistreated others. When we finally get a glimpse of the cross of Jesus, we see how great our sin really is. In the light of Calvary, all our supposed goodness is nothing but filthy rags. The beauty of the Christian gospel shines forth from this story. Jesus, the innocent, takes the place of Barabbas the guilty. A sinner goes free. An innocent man dies. Thus, in the great wisdom of God, what should have been a catastrophe, the death of God's Son, provides salvation to the world. Isaiah 53 contains the good news we need. He was bruised and wounded for us. He was beaten, betrayed, mocked, scourged, and crowned with thorns, crucified all for us. Our sins drove Jesus to the cross, but he did not go unwilling. If our sins drove him there, it was his love for us that kept him there. If you want to go to heaven, pay attention to the words in Isaiah 53, 6. In the King James, King James Version, it reads this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice that it begins and ends with the word all. One man gave his testimony this way. I stopped, I stooped down low and went in, in at the first all. Then I stood up straight and walked out at the last all. The first all tells us that we are sinners. The last all tells us that Christ has paid the price for our sins. Go in at the first all and come out at the last all, and you will discover the way of salvation. After Calvary, God has nothing left to prove to anyone. How can you doubt his love after you look at the bleeding, 
form of Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus or Barabbas, the choice is yours. May God give you grace to believe in Jesus and crown him as Savior of the Lord.